With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Backroom Politics. And good out there. Uh, good afternoon out there on Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, from a call-in edition, I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell, broadcasting from America's Navy home, Norfolk, Virginia. Joining me as they do every Tuesday from the National Capital Region. He is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you? Doing well, Justin. Make sure you swing by Ghent. It's a great place. Yeah, I will have to check that out. Uh, joining me also, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents. He is longtime Washington insider and longtime Senate staffer. He is the man we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm good, Justin. And also joining me on the line, she is the former attorney for the Hillary Clinton campaign in Ohio in the 2016 presidential election. She is a bar certified lawyer in the great state of New York and the Garden State of New Jersey. She is the woman that we know as Sharmila Chari. Hello, Sharmila. Hi, Justin. How are you? Great pronunciation, by the way. Could we could we clear up something here? Is it yes. Sharmilla? Yes, Sharmilla. Is it Sharmilla? It's Sharmilla. No, Justin's been doing me? it right the whole time. Justin's <laughs> been doing it right. Say, say, well, say that. I want you to say that again. No, no, no. I want you to say that again, Sharmilla, please. Say that again. Justin's been doing it right this whole time. But he just well, wrong again. Very... Well, last week when I when I jumped on the line, I had been uh, at a work meeting, and some people at work called me Sharmila, and so I just sort of I hadn't switched from work mode to radio mode. So oh, that was the interesting because some of us heard you, I'm, and we were thinking, yeah. "Wow, have we been doing this wrong?" Well, I'm very glad that Justin we, had hey, it guys, right, and now that and that we've got that we've it clarified. Clear. Now that we've clarified that we've gotten it right, can I continue on with the whole like political radio show that we do every Tuesday? One hundred percent. Thank you. All right, we've got a lot to talk about. Obviously, let's start with the breaking news. Uh, in the past uh, two hours, the president officially has announced what many thought were the uh, was going to be the case. The president officially announced that the United States will be withdrawing from what we know as the Iranian nuclear deal in a largely kind of all over the place press conference. The president was talking about facts that even the French, the British, the Germans, the EU, and even certain high ranking officials in the Israeli defense force are kind of scratching their heads as to what kind of reality the president was dealing with. Uh, It has 
caused a stir in international circles during this press conference, and we'll talk about this also later. It was also announced that newly newly installed Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is in fact on a plane heading towards Pyongyang, North Carolina, a second trip for the Secretary of State, or North Korea, rather. I'm sorry, North Korea. What did I say? Carolina. North Carolina. Okay, North, North Korea. I'm sorry. You know, you get here to the Southern Virginia area, and it's, everything's North Carolina. Anyway, that being said, this is the second trip for the Secretary to North Korea. Uh, let's get to the big stuff right now on this nuclear deal. Admiral Ken, let me start with you. Um, like it or not, uh, criticize it or not, the Iran nuclear deal, by many accounts, by almost all of our allies, was working. Why does this make sense for America, and why does it make sense for the president to announce it now? Well, it makes perfect sense in, in, in Trump world. You know, I, I'm, 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 I'm constantly amazed at the surprise that people exhibit, especially the news media, when Trump does what he says he was going to do. He said he was going to tear up the nuclear deal. Uh, it's only taken him you know, 18, no, 15 months to do it, but he said he was going to do it. He was going to find a way to rationalize through that, no matter what anyone said. This is not a good thing. Uh, we talked about this on last week's show, because at least with the deal in place, the, 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 the Iranians, even if, they were, even if they were going to cheat, had to go through extraordinary measures to be able to do it because um, there would be inspections in place. They'd have to at least you know, go through the, uh, the steps of showing that they did not have a nuclear program. Now, not only do they not have to worry about it as much, especially where the U.S. is concerned, uh, two, um, they, they, the U.S. has set a precedent of signing a deal to uh, prevent the nuclearization of, uh, of, a, of a perceived foreign adversary and, and, uh, and backed out of it. And so now if I'm, if I'm Kim Jong-un, why would I worry about sticking around? You know, Alan Moore, Admiral Ken brings up a really big point here, but I, I, I want to look at uh, the basics on the deal. We are not the only engaged party in this, uh, what they call the joint plan of action. The reality is, is that there are several signatories on only Iran and the United States, but this also includes our allies in France, Germany, Great Britain. The EU is a signatory on this. Uh, is, is this something that sends a message to our allies saying, hey, look, you know, we hear you. You're making a lot of noise, but we're still going to, you know, do what we want to do, even though it's not in the best global interest. Have we totally gone well, America first? It, okay, and don't forget China and Russia, who are parts of this deal, too. Oh, because yeah, they're, sorry they're, about that. Yeah, I was getting, looking at our allies. Not getting, yeah, they're not getting a lot of attention, but they may be the two most important uh, signatories in terms of what, what happens from here. The, the Europeans were forewarned. Um, they did their best to convince uh, the president that this was a risky move, not worth taking because of risks, and 
uh, a move that that was not necessary to or shouldn't be the first step to trying to make some modifications to the the, the overall arrangement with Iran. They didn't. Their arguments did not carry the day, uh, as, as Ken pointed out. Uh, the president felt like this was one. I mean, not <laughs> this was not only something he had talked about from day one uh, in his campaign, but that he didn't just characterize as a bad deal, but as a historically bad deal. I don't happen to agree with him on that. I mean, I didn't like the deal. Neither did a majority of members of the Congress. It's useful to think to, to reflect on that. Um, but they, are, they they didn't have the the sixty votes that they would have needed in the uh, in the Senate. They had fifty eight, but not sixty, to basically uh, kill the deal. Um, and and uh, having said that, a, a lot of people, and I would say consider myself one of them felt that the 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 deal has been in place it's been doing what it said it would do one of the arguments is it didn't do enough of the things that it might have done but it did what it said it would do um and so it 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 was hard to figure out exactly what our rationale for pulling out would be simply i mean the argument is we should have struck a better deal with more pieces in it in the first place, and we don't like some of the things Iran has done since then, so let's unravel this deal. The Europeans said there are other ways to get at those things. In fact, just last year, the Congress passed some sanctions, some additional sanctions against Iran, along with Russia, um, uh, for, uh, for ballistic missile tests and, and, and some other stuff. So it's not as though things were just – swimming along beautifully with with Iran it's a risk that that Iran might choose I don't think it will but it might choose to simply say well we're going to start enriching uranium again that would probably force all which, the the other signatories to to well, bail which, by the way, on the deal Alan, it, it'll be interesting in. to see what happens here Alan let me just jump in real quick is you know it's, it's funny you 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 bring that up because just within the past uh, few minutes, uh, we have heard from the government in Tehran, and they've basically said that, uh, in I quote, we will begin re-enriching uranium and doing it at large-scale levels. That is, to me, uh, you know, that to me says that not only is this a bad, you know, we've poked the sleeping bear here, Sharmila. That you know, if we were looking at uh, trying to keep this nuclear enrichment uh, contained, we've pretty much unleashed the pissed-off tiger. Yeah, I think that you've seen pretty quickly how you know Donald Trump's bluster has just come back to bite him in the butt, right? I think that the reasoning behind. Uh, the Trump administration's decision today for, you know, as much as, you know, Alan and Ken have pointed out that they, the Iranians were, were complying with their end of the deal. And there are some arguments that they could have made even prior to uh, the U.S. withdrawal now that the U.S. had not been complying with its end. But the, but the, 
But now you see, right, the, I think the rationale of the Trump administration had been, we have all the leverage here. We have the stronger alliances with all the other signatories. And therefore, if we pull out and demand, you know, going back to the negotiating table and getting even more from the Iranians, they're going to have to comply. And all of a sudden, that logic has just been thrown out the window. So now the question is, how is the Trump administration going to respond? Because now they've, they've sort of puffed their chest out. Iran has puffed their chest back. And now, it's, now I'm curious to see whether or not the administration is going to blink. And it's especially important given that we're on the eve of these talks with North Korea, because the North Koreans are going to be watching this very closely. And Justin? Yeah, go ahead, Admiral Ken. You know, and I, 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 in listening to the president's uh, rationale um, about, you know, the, the reasons for pulling out, um, I can't get past the fact that um, I, I, I'm probably one of those few Americans that are willing to say this out loud. Every time that man opens his mouth, I don't believe a word that comes out of it. Not one. <laughs> I, I, I have no – he has lost all credibility with me, and it wasn't just the Stormy Daniels thing. It was the, the crowd sizes. It was um, any number of, of just crazy, just ridiculous lies that he has told because if he'll lie about the little stuff, he'll lie about the big stuff. And I think right. what will be really interesting to see – I'm not at all surprised that the, uh, the Iranians have basically made the announcement – that they're going to go back into the uh, enrichment business. Not at all surprised to see that. What I'm going to be very curious to see are the reactions of the other signatories to the deal. Um, that should be really interesting. I, I especially France, especially France and the United Kingdom, because he's promised. So, hang, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So, so I haven't seen this particular announcement. I did listen to the the, uh, the statement of the president of, of Iran that that followed uh, oh 45 minutes ago. I did not hear him say that. I I'm I'm a little skeptical of whether they would simply say that and do that right now. They want to see where uh, where China is. China is a huge purchaser of Iranian oil. Uh, China needs that oil, um, and Iran needs a, needs uh, a good, solid, uh, capable market for its oil. Um, and so, where's China on this deal? China is a key player on the on North Korea and denuclearizing the peninsula. It's not as though China wants to uh, devote a lot of effort to denuclearize uh, the Korean Peninsula and go ahead and and nuclearize, if you will, Iran and possibly trigger a nuclear race uh, in, in, in the Middle East. I'm just not – look, I, I don't think the president should have done this, but I'm not prepared after the two hours to say, see, they did what they, they did, what we feared. I think this is going to take a while to play out um, before we know. I don't like so, the risk. I don't like the decision, but but I think it's right. I don't think we know yet just so, what the so other Alan, parties will do. So, Alan, let me just clarify this real quick because the, the statement that I was talking about came from uh, this is from the AP and was posted about 47 minutes ago, uh, where uh, you know where President Rouhani basically said that uranium enrichment 
may resume if this deal may. fails. May, may if resume. If you want to get the said? contact, they're ready to go. They're ready to well, go. No, 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 no. They, they have. <laughs> sorry, they, they have. This is part of the deal was to disassemble that most most of of uh, <laughs> their their equipment and their enriched material. So they. They they went from maybe being uh, two months to if you if you will break out or whatever the term is to about a year that's occurred um, now but they Alan, have some Alan here's the problem Alan admit. hold on hold on uh, Alan hold on hold yep. on the problem is is that what 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 should scare the American uh, the American public is the fact that one that President Rouhani can literally say that not only can we start re-enriching uranium, but we can all you have to do is flip a switch and we'll have re-enriching, re- you know, re-enrichment processes going within a couple of weeks. This is, you know, we suspended. We we've shown that this deal was working. We have evidence from all of our allies, including Israeli defense officials, that say that this deal was working, and yet. John Bolton and uh, Doug, in order to just make a campaign promise, throws fire on something that wasn't really burning. That's my concern. So, look, look. <laughs> I can keep I mean, repeating it, it's my concern unfounded. I thought it was not. I thought it was not worth the risk. You you can't blame Trump's campaign promises of two years ago on John Bolton. That Trump has been anxious to do this from the time he was uh, he was elected. I don't I don't know that he got any pushback from Bolton, but but uh, th- th- this was on Trump and his his early his early advisors. All I'm saying is we don't yet know for certain what these other parties are going to do, and if the Iranians choose to start re-enriching. First of all, they're going to have to get a lot of new equipment that they had disassembled. They've got many months before they can get enough material together. That was part of this, the whole original deal that, that was carried out. Was it a risk worth taking? Not for me, but it's, it's, not, like they're going to have, it's not like they're going to have a bomb in a few weeks. And they've and got to figure out, they've got to figure out what China, Russia, and the European parties are having to say because – Iran's economy is in the toilet, and Iran entered this deal in part because they had their own people pushing back to try to get some some money that was Iran's that was being held in banks around the world so they could improve right. the domestic economy, and they've not had a lot of success. They have 36% inflation in the last year alone, and so they've got a whole host of domestic issues and the last thing they want to do is say to Europe and and China and Russia uh, particularly the Europeans who wanted to do joint deals in Iran and have put some into place we're going to now start re-enriching again sorry about all those deals that we desperately want the U.S. gets cut out of all of these deals and we weren't a big player anyway all I'm saying there's lots of pieces here and we're fearful of what the the, the the response to what happened today will be 
We just don't know enough yet to be absolutely certain. That's all I'm but saying. Charmela, let me ask yes, you a question. I, oh. Oh, go ahead, Charmela, first. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, I, I agree with what Alan said, but I would also add in that part of the reason that the Iranian economy has been doing poorly and hasn't sort of benefited from the nuclear deal as the way they thought was because a lot of the promised European investment never manifested. And that was in part due to the fact that the U.S. created a lot of uncertainty about whether or not they were going to stay in the deal and whether or not they were going to reimpose sanctions. And right, so you saw in President Trump's speech today, he explicitly stated that the san- he would move to reinstate sanctions against Iran and anyone who did business with them. So now suddenly those deals that were perhaps in the pipeline look a lot less promising to our European allies. He's, um, you know, the president has kind of in one fell swoop erased, I think, a lot of the economic upside that the deal contained for the Iranians. And again, I, I agree with Alan, there's a lot of moving parts here and, you know, this is not going to play out overnight. But I think that the the harshness of the way this message was delivered is going to do a lot more harm than good in the long run. Yeah, but Sharmila, let me ask you this. Should one of the concerns for the U.S. be that by pulling out, we've pretty much invited our closest allies, Britain, uh, Britain, France, Germany, and the EU, to literally jump into the laps of our power struggle our power struggle adversaries, that being Russia and China, Beijing and Russia, Beijing and Moscow look like the cooler heads, and they kind of look like more global leaders than we do here in Washington. I mean, I think it's going to take a lot more than the U.S. pulling out of this deal for you know the Western European our Western European allies to suddenly jump into Putin's lap, right? I mean. There's still a lot of conflict there, including the fact that Vladimir Putin has demonstrably been trying to meddle in the Western European elections for the last several years. So I don't think that this move by itself will suddenly make everyone turn to Russia as sort of this, you know, stabilizing power in the region. However, I do think that what this move plus the withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord last year has shown is that the U.S. is really rejecting multilateralism. And so any of these future pacts and accords that are going to go forward on a multilateral basis are going to start excluding the U.S. or at least reducing their um, importance in negotiations and the importance of their participation because it's unclear whether the U.S. is going to stick with them or whether the U.S. is even interested in entering them at all. So I think that what you're going to see in the future, the bigger danger is that these multilateral pacts are going to keep going forward and the U.S. is just going to get shut out. Admiral Ken, I mean, is there is there a possibility that we are seeing a global shift of, uh, dare I say, geopolitical power coming from or drawing away from Washington and being equally distributed between London, Paris, uh, Germany, and even Beijing and Moscow? Well, you know, if, if you talk to anyone um, – from a different country who who you know has been paying attention to some of the rhetoric that's been coming out of DC and and I do on occasion you know the minute they started hearing America first um that didn't have the same connotation for them that it does for 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 a lot of people in the US uh what that means to some of them our european uh western european um partners um is that screw you 
we're going to do what's in the best what's in the best interest for the U.S. versus working to see what's in the best interest for us all. Uh, I agree with Sharmila that this uh, departure from the deal is not going to be enough to make uh, countries like uh, the U.K. And, and Paris go run into the Russians. It's going to take a lot uh, worse to get them to do that. That said, um, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and we have basically stepped aside, and it will be really interesting to see who uh, and what – who – Singularly, and who, in, in the form of uh, groups or other alliances, are going to take the place of American leadership? And again, uh, you know, what, I, I'm not saying this. This is this is coming from one of the the uh, the um, I guess the the talking heads. One of them being Jeff Flake. Um, it seems that you know Donald Trump has basically written down the list everything that Barack Obama did when he was president, and he's basically going back with a big eraser or, or, or big red pen, either erasing it or lining through it, this being the latest of those those items on that list. Um, and, and without any real yep. care, without any really care, real care as to the long-term or secondary effects of, of, of the act. Alan Ward, is this also a sign? I mean, look, I mean, Benjamin, uh, Israeli Prime, uh, President Benjamin Netanyahu basically pushed this into Trump's lap. Are we seeing the advent of a stronger influence out of Tel Aviv than we are seeing out of London or Paris? I don't know that we can say that. Again, this has been Trump's position for two years. He those The, the words where he talks about this as the worst deal in the history of America didn't come from Benjamin Netanyahu. They came from whomever Trump was listening to two years ago. Maybe, maybe Netanyahu fed, fed, fed the beast, but so did others. And he got it into his mind and he kept talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. So it was of, of all the promises that he could make, it was sort of like the moving the embassy uh, to Jerusalem, these are things that he could. He has the power to do on his own. He couldn't. He couldn't kill Obamacare without an act of Congress, um, uh, which he also, you know, claimed that that he that he was going to do uh, one of one of his many promises. But but uh, this is one that he <laughs> that he's been writing for a long time. The the Europeans. It, there's not a couple things about this business investment. Yeah, but, there's but been Alan, all, very, hold, hold very on. little business investment by the U.S. and not that much by the Europeans, although they're more willing. And just because we pull out doesn't mean that they can't still uh, right. try to do some deals. But yeah, with but, the U.S. Alan, hold, out of it and on. not I mean, providing Alan, an umbrella of protection, it's a lot riskier. Alan, we, we saw that Sesame Street skit that Benjamin Netanyahu put on for the audience of one, that audience of one being President Trump, where he basically gave, you know, an eight-year-old's version of why he should pull out of the Iranian deal, and apparently it took. Uh, no, 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 no. You that that that. You can't, you can't say that something Trump has said he was going to do and signaling he was going to do for two years, he then did because a week ago Netanyahu put a big sign up that said Iran lied. He referenced it, 
but that there was no there was no real surprise with what the what the what uh, the Israelis came up with. He didn't. He's not the one that pushed Trump over the top um, or made him go this way. He's been talking this for two years. In, I mean, in I have to agree with Alan here. Go ahead. Trump Trump has demonstrated time and time again that he likes people who agree with him. That's why we have the current you know foreign affairs and national security team that we have right now. And so I, I have to agree with Alan that the fact that Netanyahu and the Saudi Arabians were saying exactly what Trump wanted to hear obviously made him listen to them more. Um, but I, I do think it'll be curious to see the, sh- the shift in current policy, considering this was a pretty big diplomatic fail for Macron and Merkel, to see whether they can sort of try to save face with their own national audiences and kind of with Trump again by seeing if they can persuade him to come on their side in, in some other issue, or if Trump is going to continue to side with the Israelis and the Saudis. You can you know that, you know, personally, he obviously has an affinity for the Saudis who really enjoyed his trip there, um, and whether or not those countries are going to have, going to have, inc- take up increasing part of his mind share in terms of foreign policy. I think that is an open question and one we should be looking at very carefully. Well, I got to tell you something. We've got breaking news coming out of the AP, which should be of concern. Uh, According to the AP, Syrian TV is reporting an Israeli airstrike near the capital of Damascus. The Israeli, or I'm sorry, the Syrian state-run TV is saying that air defenses have shot down two Israeli uh, cruise missiles and that others apparently have hit targets in and near Damascus. Uh, does, does this seem a little coincidental, Admiral Ken, that literally within minutes of a uh, – literally within minutes of an announcement that Donald Trump is pulling out of the Iranian deal, Benjamin Netanyahu pulls a stunt like this? That seems dangerous. Uh, I – I am anxious about uh, drawing connecting lines without uh, further evidence. Um, you know, Bibi Netanyahu's got a lot of stuff going on at home. Um, I mean, this could be a, this could easily be a case of wag the dog Israeli style. So I, I'm I'm a little anxious to 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 uh, to, to uh, 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 fall into that one. But but to me, well, there were reports. There were reports I heard, I'd heard earlier that the Israelis were nervous that the Iranians were planning some sort of strike in the Golan Heights area, and they had they had prepared sort of bomb shelters and other emergency um, measures for the citizens of that area. So this could be some sort of preemptive strike, anticipating an Iranian strike. But, did, did, but again, I, mean, I don't did, know how. What the veracity? Yeah, I had, heard, I had heard those reports too, and there, there's there's possibly some linkage there. Now they both could be a wag the dog type thing, but but we just don't know enough. But this is a very dangerous dog to be wagging. We don't know that they're wagging the dog. We're saying it might be. You know, the, we're drawing. It, it, you're you're Justin, leaping it, to the conclusion, Justin, and we're it, we're, it, we're we're only guessing. Yeah, and, and, and wagging the dog in by in and of itself is always a dangerous thing. So one isn't more dangerous than the other. And, and to to Alan's point, uh, and to the point I was trying to make earlier, I, I'm not comfortable drawing any conclusions on what the Israelis are doing because 
they they are their their own best arbiters of their protection um, between their intelligence agencies and the military. They they they've reached out and touched people touched their neighbors before uh, for their own reasons. Some of them associated with things that we're doing. Some of them not. So I think we just got to wait for more facts to come in. Good grief. Good grief. Uh, round the horn real quick before we go to break. I think he's Who's agreeing with you, loser? Tim. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> what, what was that? When you said good grief, good grief, I said I think he's agreeing with you, Tim. Uh, anyway, that being said, around the horn real quick before we go to break. Uh, biggest loser, biggest winner in today's announcement by President Trump. Start with you, Sharmila. Biggest loser, Iran. Uh, biggest winner, I think, Israel. Admiral Ken. Actually, no, I, I take that back. Biggest winner right now, President Trump. Wow. Admiral Ken. Um, biggest winner, President Trump. Biggest loser, um, um, I, I would say anyone concerned with um, the prevention of the of the Iranians getting a nuclear weapon, and that includes us and their neighbors. Alan Moore, biggest loser, biggest loser uh, is President Trump. Second biggest winner is President Trump also, and uh, and biggest winner is Eric Schneiderman, who got nudged along with Rudy Giuliani <laughs> off the front pages. Oh, you see now. You see that. That's just that. that you, you had to take away the fire for the Mark. next segment. Killing me, killing me. Anyway, we're going to take a quick you break. When we question. do come back, what's that? You asked the question. Yeah, true. I did. I, I I did do that. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about just that that uh, Alan teased up. We're going to be talking about. The awkward week for Rudy Giuliani, the really bad 24 hours for the attorney general out of New York, and how this is all going to play out as it relates to Trump-Russian collusion and the Cohen case. This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. We will be back in three minutes. Stay with us. Thank you. 
is backroom politics. And we're back here to the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, We're going to continue the discussion regarding the president's legal quagmire. Uh, In case some of you all have not heard, uh, within the past seven to ten days, the president's outside counsel for the Russian collusion investigation and the special counsel's office Ty Cobb announced his retirement from the White House's legal team and in in return brought Rudy Giuliani up to the batter's box for the Trump external legal team and at which point Rudy Giuliani can uh proceeded to go on just about every talk show and political show on any network that would take him in fact I think he might have been on Kurdistan 24's uh, Washington show at one time. And regardless, uh, the former mayor of New York and large-time Trump supporter went on all these TV shows and basically gave, a, out of the 12, I think, that he appeared on, gave 12 different answers regarding the Cohen case. And the uh, legal dispute with porn star Stormy Daniels. Uh, it has been a bizarre show. It has been an awkward show. The president has tried to defend Rudy Giuliani uh, by saying that you know it, Rudy's a new to the team. He's still getting his facts, but he's still allowing Rudy Giuliani to go out on these TV shows and put out facts that don't necessarily jive with reality or put out a message that is not consistent from show to show. What he says on Fox is completely different. All of this at the same time that we find out in a New Yorker report that the anti-Giuliani, the anti-Trump, New York's Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, late last night it was announced that he is in fact resigning from his office as the Attorney General which puts into question several investigations going on out of the attorney general's offices in Albany, which includes investigations into not only Donald Trump's organization, Michael Cohen's organization, but also may have an effect on uh, ongoing investigations involving uh, Harvey Weinstein. So all of this coming within six days, our heads continue to spin here at Backroom Politics, trying to keep up with all this, but I go to the panel. Uh, Sharma, let me let me go to you first. You are a member of the New York Bar. Uh, you are familiar with Eric Scheinerman and his work. How big of a shock is this to the legal community, and how how much does this really ripple effect throughout uh, the country as far as what we're dealing with on these high profile cases? Um, it's a huge shock to the legal community. I actually met Eric Schneiderman two weeks ago at a fundraiser, and um, don't you know, go out with him. Touted. Don't don't go yeah. out with him, Sharmila. Yeah, Sharmila, did, 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 did he smack you around? Thank a little you bit? for that dating tip. No, it was a large group of people. He was a very professional oh. and actually wasn't drinking. Oh wow! But right, right, at that's the, new. At the, yeah, at this event, he was really touted as sort of the the champion of the anti-Trump resistance and the 
savior of the liberal agenda, especially here in New York, you know, protecting the rights of New Yorkers and standing up for the rights of women, standing up for the rights of the LGBTQ community. Uh, really, you know, he is very well regarded or was <laughs> up until 24 hours ago, was very well regarded in New York uh, democratic and progressive circles as someone who's really fighting the good fight for us. And so this obviously is a huge blow to the democratic and progressive community, especially here in New York city. That being said, there's no shortage of ambitious politicians in New York who are all Democrats. Uh, So I don't, so yes, while this may cause some hiccups uh, in the investigation, in the ongoing investigations into the Trump organization and into Harvey Weinstein, Eric Schneiderman was not an office of one. He had a massive staff of attorneys working under him. Uh, the assist, I'm sure the assistant AG is getting up to speed on all of that, and those investigations are going to continue, I think, with minimal, with minimal disruption. But this is a blow for um, – it, it's a blow for the New York legal community. It's a, you know, it's a blow for me as a woman thinking that you – know, seeing the hypocrisy of someone who really, champ- who really fashioned himself as a champion of women and you know, was, was sort of seemed that you – know, was really an advocate for women in the legal system – um, and I think it's, you know, obviously it's not great for Democrats as a whole. I think that part of the reason that Schneiderman resigned so quickly is because he saw what happened to Al Franken and that as opposed to some members with some instances in the GOP, Democrats almost uniformly, once you've been touched by the Me Too scandal, they cut, they cut their losses and they cut you loose. So I think Schneiderman knew that he didn't have the political will to stay in his position and so he instead of dragging it out he he cut the cord himself so is we'll see we'll see who uh who takes over his position right now his acting ag is um or his his assistant ag or deputy ag is is the acting attorney general and we'll see who the state assembly uh appoints in his place does does this put a blow alan Moore, on any of the Albany problems that the Trump administration were facing. I mean, it, it, it seems to me that, you know, something like this that sticks to Schneiderman, does that stick to the AG's office? And does this put in jeopardy uh, some of the, well, if you pardon them, we'll get them on state charges route that Schneiderman was kind of hinting might go down. No, I don't think so. I think Charlotte had it exactly right that there are, that there are a lot of, talented and ambitious um, uh, lawyers uh, in the attorney general's uh, uh, office and in that sphere. I don't know who the next AG will be, but, 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 but these are, there are a lot, there's, there's a lot of folks there. There's a lot of attention to this whole question. And there was even some uh, legislation, I believe in the New York legislature to make it crystal clear that if a, a, a person were given a pardon for certain kinds of offenses that may have occurred in the state of New York, um, that they would still be subject to prosecution in New York. I'm, 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 I'm murky on exactly what all of that means, but that's just trying to put into place the opportunity if, for example, just as a for instance, if Michael Cohen was, uh, it was charged, found guilty, pardoned, that New York could still come after him uh, for the same charge for which he received a federal pardon from, from the president. Then there are other people in the inner circle 
um, who who you know who are also talked about in that in that same vein. So you know, it's it's Schneiderman. I don't have a good sense of how uniquely talented he was. I mean, every now and then somebody comes along who's so darn good you can't replace him. Um, I'm not saying Schneiderman is one of them, and he obviously had some serious personal flaws um, that were that were first public last night at 6:45 um, when the New Yorker story got showed up, um, and and within three out well within within an hour and a half or two hours, Governor Cuomo and Senator Gillibrand had said he needs to resign. And then within an hour or so after that, he did resign. So he got the nudge before he <laughs> before he made the determination. He did try to make a statement. It was a little bizarre, saying, "You know, I, I never <laughs> I never forced myself on anyone." Yeah, I was in some. I, I can't remember the term he used, um, where he acknowledged that sometimes he did sexual role play, <laughs> but never. But yeah, never, we, uh, I was going to say that's, that's not it's really like, a picture. That's not really a picture Whoa, America dude, needed. Do you really want? Do you really want that to be your def- to your to to be your defense? Um, no. But uh, you know, when people write things uh, in the moment, late at night, maybe or maybe not, he'd been drinking. Uh, usually, uh, you, he he hit send and shouldn't have. Uh, Tom Brokaw did that recently too. But but it, it just the, the it happened so fast. Uh, right. It was a, it was a head, head spinner. Um, but I think he knew that, enough about what he had done to know that he was done. Yeah. Let's talk about Rudy Giuliani. Admiral Ken is, is Rudy Giuliani actually helping in this craziness or is it actually more damage to Donald Trump's legal defense? What, what's, are, what's are, are, you, are you asking me that question because I'm a product of public education? I mean, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, he's not helping. And uh, and as someone who, who used to hold the mayor in very high regard, it's almost sad to watch him do this to himself. I mean, it is – it's sad. Uh, he, he, you know, uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't understand this Bengali effect that Donald Trump has got on certain members of the Republican Party, but they just they, they go out and they just make they just make fools of themselves and destroy whatever great reputations they may have had. And I just think I think Mayor Giuliani is the latest example of getting slimed by Donald Trump. Well, we've got Ken a little bit. Um, Mayor Giuliani has been sliming himself for the last two years. I don't know if you remember his unhinged speech at the Republican National Convention oh, last year. Oh, I, I, I was I, there. I, you were there. Right. Were I, there. I don't think that his performance – so there you go. I don't think his performance over the last seven or ten days has been so much worse or more vitriolic than, than that. I think that was actually the nadir of sort of Giuliani's public career, and he was slowly coming back up. I think Trump had given him, you know, by including him as a cybersecurity advisor and bringing him onto his legal team, I think Trump had actually been giving him a little bit more credibility, and then the mayor went out and kind of dropped it all on the floor. 
but uh, sorry, Justin, what was the question you were going to ask me? No, no, Sharma, <laughs> I, I guess the question to you is, is, you know, as, as a legal advisor, I mean, I mean, let's call this what it is. Uh, you know, it appears from people that I've talked to close to the situation, uh, Mayor Giuliani is not actually practicing law. He's more acting in a competent-ish uh, Michael Cohen aspect of being a fixer to all this, not so much practicing <laughs> law or legally representing Donald Trump before the Mueller folks. Uh, so what it, you, you would have better knowledge of this than I did? I mean, my, to, my, to my knowledge, uh, Giuliani, Mayor Giuliani is still a member of the New York Bar. He was a partner at a law firm for many years that he founded. So um, I believe he still has a practicing lawyer in some capacity, whether or not, you know, Donald Trump is paying him or retaining him as legal. My understanding was always that President Trump was retaining him as legal counsel. And so I I don't know where the impression that he is not functioning as a lawyer is coming from. I think, you know, you see from someone like Michael Avenatti or other lawyers that you can both function as a lawyer and function as a, a spokesman, sort of a PR person, a fixer, a, a spinner on TV. Those two roles are not mutually exclusive. But well, um, I, mean, Rudy Giuliani, I, I have not seen any evidence, any evidence that he is not actually representing Trump, Trump as a lawyer well, in front well, of Donald Trump. That's one, my, always my understanding. Number, number one, let me, let me say this. We've confir- I've confirmed with, with, with uh, several sources that in fact uh, Rudy Giuliani had to take a leave of absence from his own firm because the partners in his firm did not want him to take this deal. It was in their aspect or in their eyes a liability for the firm as a whole. Uh, So Giuliani's doing this solo, not with his firm. Now, my question is... Fair enough. If, in fact, Giuliani is providing legal counsel to Donald Trump externally, do you have your legal counsel do the public affairs uh, tirade that Giuliani's done over the past five to seven days? Charlotte, would you advise – you know, would you – would you do that for your client the way he has? (laughs) I mean, again, it, it, sometimes it works in a very positive way. Look at Stormy Daniels and Michael Avenatti. She has retained him as legal counsel, but he's also the face of this scandal. He is on as many TV shows as Rudy Giuliani is on. Michael Avenatti can match that guy, right? And he's a lot more believable. All the time. And a lot more believable. Right, and a lot more believable and a lot more competent. So the answer to your question, Justin, in theory, yes, if you have a competent attorney, they can certainly serve both functions where they can both be your legal counsel and serve as your kind of PR and spin face and go out on the TV shows and advocate your case and, and talk about why you are on the, your side will prevail. Right. Again, the key, the key determinant there is if you have a competent attorney, you know, for the majority of his career, Rudy Giuliani was a very competent attorney. He was a very successful prosecutor, a federal prosecutor. He was the assistant U S attorney. It's the third highest position in the justice department. You know, he, he had a very successful law firm, or he has a very successful law firm where he represents, you know, top-tier corporate clients. So it's, I think, the, the turn of events that has, you know, caused him to come off looking so sort of uninformed and incompetent is, you know, to quote Admiral Ken, very sad. It's, it's 
unclear where this turn has come from. If I was Trump now, I would yank Giuliani from TV as soon as possible. But the president doesn't seem to be doing that. He seems to still have confidence in him to go out and you know advocate the president's case. I'm not sure why. But perhaps there is some sort of long game legal strategy of muddying the waters and creating what's called the, you know, I don't know if any of you watch South Park, but, you know, the uh, putting out the Chewbacca defense where you just throw out a bunch of irrelevant facts <laughs> to confuse the jury and then say, well, you know, if, if this, you know, Chewbacca lives on Endor, but he's from this other planet. And so if that, that makes no sense. So none of this makes any sense. Therefore, he's innocent. My client is innocent, right? That's the Chewbacca like, defense. And so maybe that's what like the President to, and Giuliani are doing. I would like to think that we are a credible political commentary show, that a service that we bring. And I just heard our in-house New York member of the bar just say the Chewbacca defense. <laughs> well, you, you, started, you started the segment by asking me a public education question. I mean, come on. Right, and, and, and not not only did she Justin, make that reference, but it made complete and total sense. Yeah, it was a hundred percent applicable in this case. You know, you know, Thank Mayor you, Giuliani. It's a part of the Mayor, J- now, man. Mayor, Mayor Giuliani pulled off a surprising event, a borderline miracle here in the last few days. How do you say he that? He made he made Donald Trump not look like the dumbest guy in the room, but the second dumbest. His performance on TV as a lawyer, as a, as a mouthpiece and a lawyer, was so, was so counter to his client's interests in, in, talking, in talking about uh, election, federal election violations, the repayment of the $130,000 Michael Cohen payment to, <laughs> to Stormy Daniels to, to, to open up the possibility that maybe, just maybe, not that he knows of any, there might have been other women. This was a disaster for the president. Now, in fairness, in fairness to Giuliani, apparently the initial reaction from the president was, out of way, out of way, Rudy, out of way. And then, when other people talked to him and he began to hear what people were saying about it and watched the repeats and maybe just maybe the, 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 the devastating ridicule on Saturday night live, um, he might, he may have thought, Ooh, okay. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Rain it in uh, Rudy. And then we didn't see Rudy uh, yesterday or today. Hopefully for the president, we won't see any more of him. Um, we're probably going to have to have a lottery to see who gets to pick Rudy as to be the next guy to 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 jump the ship. Um, it, it was absolute disaster for for the president and for Rudy, which is why I said that he was one of the winners today because we're talking about Iran and and major internet and, and North Korean major international events and not a, and and maybe a little bit Schneiderman and not idiot Rudy. Well, yeah, I have okay. to agree with Alan. It is the it is the rare lawyer who makes their client look so much worse <laughs> after they go on TV. I, I, mean, I mean, seriously, has 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 Giuliani provided the president with more legal exposure? 
Certainly. Yes. Giuliani essentially admitted that there was a campaign violation, the campaign finance violation. He not only, by the president, right, he admitted that this payment by Michael Cohen to Stormy Daniels, which no one has disputed, he admitted that this payment, um, you know, was, was reimbursed by the president, whether that payment was structured as a loan to the campaign or a donation, either way, the president reimbursed it. And he well, now, flat out now Charlotte, Fox and Friends, well, what if, this, what if this news had come out in, you know, in the middle of the election and the debate with Hillary Clinton? That would have been bad for the president. Yes, yeah, but Charlotte, if, 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 I'm, if I'm Donald Trump, okay, I would rather deal with the weak-ass enforcement of the Federal Elections Commission rather than a criminal – conspiracy or criminal racketeering case by DOJ. To me, is that crazy like a fox? I mean, look, just just because you're guilty of one thing doesn't mean you can't be guilty of a bunch of other things. Right. So I think that... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't don't necessarily agree with that as a legal strategy of like, let's just admit to this lesser crime and then they'll ignore all the bigger ones. Like, that's not usually a problem. Theoretically, look, this this is obviously a case, the president, and and again, I'm not trying to defend Rudy Giuliani, although for full disclosure, uh, he is somebody that I, 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 I will occasionally meet socially. It, it seems to me that you know if if I'm Rudy Giuliani, throwing Trump under the bus for a minor federal elections commission violation of FEC rule is a lot better and gets him a lot better deal than having to deal with you know possible racketeering or possible felony charges with his involvement with the Cohen issue. To me, I mean, again, I pose the question to you: Certainly, Is that crazy I mean, like a fox to put was, it out there? Look, it could, it could be getting it could be getting out ahead of the story. And you're right. If if a prosecutor was going to prepare charges, they could run the gamut of much larger. I mean, I don't know where the racketeering charge comes from, but they could run the gamut of you know perhaps the the, the Russian collusion or some you know you know money laundering or something something attendant to his his real estate empire, all the way down to this technical campaign finance violation. And right, the and the you're right that theoretically they could have the strongest evidence in support of the campaign finance violation. And so you might be right in 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 getting out ahead of it and sort of basically admitting to it. Um, Giuliani and Trump have taken a lot of the um, have stolen a lot of the prosecutor's thunder if they were going to levy all these charges. But I think again that remains to be seen. What kind of evidence that they have against the president? And Michael Cohen, and you know whether or not Michael Cohen cooperates with with federal authorities. That's that's still the big question here because if Michael Cohen cooperates, and if somehow they found that you know privilege, attorney-client privilege is waived for a lot of these, um, for a lot of his testimony, then the president could be in real trouble. Well, I, I just hope. Let, let's, I let's, just hope. let's say here. Let, 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 let's acknowledge here that 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 a hundred and thirty thousand dollar payment to shut somebody up who could conceivably have an impact on an election two and a half weeks ahead of that election. That is not, not a minor campaign offense. That's big time. That is the kind of stuff that 
that, that what, if wait, it's what, true, what's, just that what's single the solitary what, fact is true. What's the crime? That's a, that's, a, that's a large offense, not a small offense. Secondly, but again, Alan, what is the crime? Done, anything, there may have been a conspiracy to, to do this. The crime if, is the cover-up. We're, 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 we're going to find out when uh, when the president knew and why Cohen said um, to the public numerous times, no, it's, it's not been reimbursed. No, here's where the money came from. I mean, there's, there's, it's not lying under oath, but there's a lot of lying going around by both the president and by Cohen. There's, there, there's a hearty stew here for, for uh, prosecutors to go after. And, uh, but, but, but I but wanted again, to say that yes, the, the, and the election violation is not minor. But wait, 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 wait. I want to, to go, add, I want to go back to this. Wait, 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 hold on, Charmaine. Sharma, let me ask you. Let me ask you the question. All right, I'm going to pose the question again because if this did happen, it appears that this would have been a crime in the state of New York. Now, I am going to preface this that you are not, in fact, a criminal defense attorney, but as a member of the New York bar, I'm going to ask you the question: If Giuliani is portraying this right or wrong, but he's portraying it as this is a hundred thirty thousand dollar campaign contribution, we might have screwed up on FEC rule. You know what? We'll pay the fine. Where is the crime? What is so, the criminal I don't, I don't charge that the hundred thirty thousand dollars? And again, I'm, I'm just asking you because to me, right now, if you are the if you are the Trump base, they're dropping. Then all of a sudden, Giuliani looks crazy like a fox. He looks like a a mad genius, but he looks like somewhat of a genius by driving the message that. There's nothing to see here. It's a Jedi mind trick, basically, for our second Star Wars reference. Well, well, yeah, really. There you go. Um, so I, th- I think we're conflating our crimes a little bit. So the state crime currently against Michael Cohen would be bank fraud, right? Because he is right. admitted to taking a home equity loan uh, to finance this payment to Stormy Daniels. Presumably, he did not write, you know, payment for you know, extortion payment to pornography star in you know his loan memo and so the pretenses under which he obtained that loan were false and so that maybe you know, maybe we don't know that maybe sorry we don't sorry, know yeah. we don't know that there's a we lot of home that. equity well, loans that there's a lot of home equity loans where you don't have to indicate your purpose. It can be for general business expenses. It can be for home improvement. It can be for all sorts of stuff. So also true. We don't, right? we don't so, know yeah. that he committed fraud there. You're right. You're right. This is all – I'll preface this. Alan's correct. I'll, I'll, let me preface this. This is all speculation. So the speculation is that Cohen can be you know, tried on charges of bank fraud. Um, the that's crime that the president – yeah, sorry, Michael Cohen. Exactly. The crime that perhaps the president could be implicated in is conspiracy to commit bank fraud, right? If the president knew about this, you know, the, the nature of the sort of extortion claim or the blackmail claim from Stormy Daniels from the beginning and worked with Michael Cohen to structure the payment such that it would come through Cohen and Trump would reimburse him later, then you could potentially have a charge of conspiracy to commit bank fraud, which is a separate crime. Right, conspiracy right. in the state of New York is a crime in and of itself. 
So that's, I think, where you can potentially make a state charge. The federal election, like the election violation, that is, that's a federal crime. But again, you could, could, the president could be implicated again if he, again, at the time, knew what was happening, knew that this payment was being made. It was obviously for the, if, if it's proven that it was for the purpose of effect, uh, affecting the outcome of the election. And then again, so that could be one crime there, the intent to commit a, or a conspiracy to commit a federal election violation. And then if there was any sort of what Justin would call a more quote unquote technical finance violation where, you know, a, a loan or a gift to the campaign was not disclosed, there could be some liability inherent in that too. That I think would be the more minor of the charges. But I think if you, if you break it down based on the facts we know thus far, I think that that's where the lines of criminal liability would lie. And remember right. what Rudy is, what Rudy's trying to do here. He's trying to say, no, 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 no. This wasn't an in-kind contribution, an illegal in-kind contribution. The president paid him back. Now, the way they, so, so then it would become, which would make it an undisclosed arguably, loan. then it would become a loan until until such time as it was all paid back, as opposed to an in-kind gift. Um, having said that, by opening that up, he's <laughs> in describing this bizarre. Uh, business of retainers and $35,000 a month for 14 months or however long it was, a lot more money than the 130000 raises a variety of new questions, just one being typically when a company pays uh, its lawyer retain, uh, uh, a retainer, those are deductible business expenses. But if some of that retainer is used to finance a political campaign, it's no longer tax deductible. Then it becomes a tax fraud issue. There's all sorts of little fun that's involved in <laughs> trying to sort out what did and did not happen here. And Rudy, it's fine if, if he got paid back and if it was done through a retainer arrangement that some tax lawyers had looked at and set up sometime in the past. Right. But right. you don't divulge that kind of information informally to Sean Hannity on Fox News, when you don't have your facts straight, even the president had to say two days later, yeah, he's just still trying to get his facts straight. Then what the hell is he doing on television talking about it, for God's <laughs> sake, and digging holes for himself and his client? You work this and, and you, you, you communicate, you, you bring the communications people in the White House and the whole rest of the legal team together to figure this out. It's a plan. You what have talking points, team? and you have what? to know what, what the hell you're doing. <laughs> you're, you're assuming that there's a communications team in the White House that can – Well, there's communications the That personnel. has any power over anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who don't know, exactly. Who, who don't know squat, you know? And it, it's just you leave all your people hanging out to dry. You make Sarah Sanders who has enough trouble being – Looking credible, looking even even less so, and right. you, you're just hanging folks out there for no reason. There's no right. good reason that they can't sit down and say, "Here's the new here's the new narrative, folks. We discovered he did get paid back. How are we gonna How are we gonna portray that? What kind of questions are gonna come up? We're not gonna have Rudy just go out there. Remember, during the transition, there was a lot of talk about Rudy being possibly the attorney general or the secretary of state. 
and, he, and, and the president liked Rudy. For, <laughs> I guess they were sort of like-minded and both narcissists and, and huge, massive egos and stuff, thinking they were super smart. And kind of got on, got along, but apparently, when during all of this, it was the president, it was it was it was candidate Trump, who told some reporters, "I like Rudy, I like him a lot, but he's lost a couple of steps. Sometimes he just doesn't make any sense." And Sharmila talked about a bizarre presentation at the at the Republican convention. But in other cases, in small groups and then in, in, in presentations, he just came across as not firing on all cylinders. And, and he has certainly taken that view and expanded on it in the last week. And one last question I want to go, uh, Alan, I'll go to you. Were you shocked at the addition of Emmett Flood to the Trump legal team? Not shocked. I was surprised because his name had floated around. I don't know the guy, but people say good things about him, and the notion seemed to be that he wasn't going to touch this. And then the next thing you know, uh, he's going to join the team at just about the same time that Rudy's on the team, and then Rudy's out there screwing up the case. So it's like I wonder, you know, Flood could be the first guy who's announced, ready to come on, doesn't need to be confirmed. Who ends up saying, eh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Joseph DeGeneva already did that. Yeah, that's, well, a, yeah, that's true. Good point. Can, can, you know, can the, I, TV, the TV lawyer that, that, that Rudy became. Yeah, can I add? Go ahead, Admiral Ken. So two things, and this is more for our, uh, the few listeners that, 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 that call themselves Trump supporters. One, I, I don't want it forgotten that the president – on Air Force One, when questioned about this, denied knowing anything, anything about uh, Stormy Daniels. And then his attorney, his appointed spokesman attorney, Rudy Giuliani, goes on Fox News, which is their key outlet for getting their story out against all the fake news and, and, um, and, and uh, uh, conflicted media, uh, completely undid that, completely undid that. And on top of this, they're baking the story that there's nothing near to this to this investigation so far. And I, I would like for Rudy and the rest of them to, to, to explain away the discrepancy between what the president said and the fact that we've got 16 indictments, uh, including the former national security advisor. You guys, if, if you want to respond to that, please. But th- this is – the reason Rudy's having so much trouble is because you can't explain away – a, 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 a lie, a big one like the one the president just told. No, well, yeah, pretty much. Hey, uh, can't, can't we're going to take... can't yeah can't disagree with that. Um, and and <laughs> and then Rudy can't shut up, so he which is he why takes that that huge problem which... and and then and then makes it worse. Which is why I was giving Admiral Ken uh, the last word on this one. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, uh, we're we're going to uh, we're going to we're going to continue this dialogue of all kinds of crazy stuff that's going on inside Washington. This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us.
Radio for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Tuesday. I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, Admiral Ken Caradine, Alan Moore, and Sharmila Achari. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Gina Haspel. For those who do not know who Gina Haspel is, Gina Haspel is President Trump's nominee to replace now Secretary of State and Platinum status traveler to Pyongyang, Mike Pompeo, uh, as the director of Central Intelligence or DCI. Uh, Gina Haspel is a longtime, well-known, well-known veteran in the intelligence community. Has spent a, from all accounts, a uh, a very strong career at Central Intelligence. Uh, including holding several positions in leadership. 
However, the um, the nomination is not without some controversy, and largely the controversy surrounds her role as a branch chief in a branch of central intelligence that, in fact, may have uh, done strong interrogations uh, on several possible suspected terrorist uh, actors. Uh, she's been making the rounds on the Hill. The, uh, the, the rounds on the Hill seem to be going successfully. However, it is, again, uh, there are several people that have demonstrated concern, notwithstanding the likes of somebody like Rand Paul, who has said that he's uh, very concerned about her and her record with waterboarding and other possible torture aspects. Um, let me start with Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, you know, I, I've talked to several of my friends in uh, that community, and even those that are not Trump supporters, and there are many, still think that this is a smart pick, that Gina Haspel should, in fact, be confirmed as a director of central intelligence. Why do you think that there's so much controversy around her? Is this just political showmanship and kabuki dancing or is there should we be concerned about somebody who led an effort on interrogation sites okay so i i think it's it's kabuki dancing and political showmanship and and uh all all uh icing under the uh, the cake of revisionist history when she ran that portion of the cia's operation uh it had it, it it had not been determined by law in this country that we weren't gonna we weren't gonna do waterboarding. We we are we are trying to erase past activities uh, and putting it on the shoulders of of, of this particular person. Um, she by reputation I don't know her personally by reputation has been an outstanding intelligence professional since the first day she joined the agency. Um, she, she, uh, she, she, she knows how to speak truth to power, which is something I greatly admire. Um, and there's not enough of that going on in government. There wasn't enough of that going on in government when I was there, and there's certainly not enough of it going on in government now. Um, I think, um, I think Rand Paul, uh, and a number of the other folks that are trying to go back and undo, um, uh, our history with the, the, the single act of uh, of of um, voting against this person's confirmation, I think they're making a mistake. I, I think they're putting their uh, they're trying to assuage their guilt or their lack of involvement in in helping to design better policy early on with trying to with 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 uh, pushing pushing back against this woman. Sharmila, Sh- is is there reason to be concerned about having somebody like Gina Haspel as the director of Central Intelligence? Well, I, I want to first say that, you know, I appreciate what Ken is saying, but I, I think the liberal counterpoint to his argument would be that, you know, certain actions, even though they weren't illegal, are still wrong. And so torturing someone, you know, the extreme interrogation te- techniques that the CIA used, even though they weren't illegal, they were still wrong things to do to a fellow human being. And I think that that's where, even if the acts weren't technically illegal at the time, that's where a lot of the pushback comes, right? Like there might've been a time where it wasn't illegal to beat your wife, but it's still not a great thing to do. 
I, I, I got that, object. That, that is, argument that is, that is totally that. not a not not a uh, um, an, an an equal argument, Sharmila. A fair and, analogy. And I agree. It is not. That that is not right. And, and I'm sorry. You know, the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, you know, we 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 have evolved in in how we look at um, in, intense interrogation as a nation. Um, do I think that the, that that evolution is a good thing? Absolutely. Uh, is, is speaking to someone who who went through a program that that didn't look uh, a, a lot unlike what, what uh, that that particular type of interrogation uh, feels like. I can tell you, there's sometimes it's effective, sometimes it's not. I'm not going to argue that here. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, we have evolved. We have made a decision that this is not something we're going to go and do. And putting that on the back of this woman as she comes up for confirmation is. It's just as wrong as a lot of other sins that we've committed in this country, in the name of trying no, look, to make I'm not, things I'm not, right. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that blaming Gina Haspel. I, I, I agree with him. I agree with you that blaming one woman for actions sanctioned by you know an entire agency and, and and many administrations in the past is not correct. And I think you're right that she has sort of become this political scapegoat for our you know advanced consciousness on this issue. But I am just sort of again repeating the the point that I've heard from um, you know from progressive circles, which is you know just because the action wasn't illegal doesn't mean it wasn't wrong, and doesn't mean that she shouldn't bear some responsibility for her part in you know taking part in a wrong action. Well, I think let, there let, is an out- and, the and can, I, sorry, can I finish? Oh. Can I finish? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I think that there is. I will say I think that there is some sexism in that argument because I think women are always held to a higher you know, moral, ethical standard than men are. So men are often given the sort of wait, 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 hold on, logic Charmel. of, you know, Charmel, well, it me... wasn't illegal at the time, but he's still a competent agent and you know, blah, 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 whereas women... Char- hold on, hold on, hold no, on, hold on. Look, Charmel, I'm, look, Charmel, I, I'm hold going on. to put this out there. I do think that women face higher ethical burdens. Um, Charmel, I think hold on. that Stop, stop, stop. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to ask you this question. Are you yes. saying that... Gina Haspel, if Gina Haspel was a man, she would not be going through the scrutiny. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go that far, but I am acknowledging the fact that there isn't, whether or not we want to acknowledge it, that there almost always is a thread of sexism in these arguments. And I think that, you know, I think that perhaps, yes, I do. If Gina Haspel was a man, I'm you know, I'm, she would be being criticized in some way, right? Like she's a Trump appointee and therefore people are going to have an issue with her or with, with, with the nominee, right? And it might not be this issue. It might, or if, you know, Gina Hustle is the exact same person, but a man, yes, this probably would be, um, this would still be raised as a point of contention. Wow. I don't know how, um, I don't know how much that would dominate the narrative though. I think that the, for for a man, the narrative, oh, but he's also a career agent. He's you know incredibly well regarded within the agency. Every, like most intelligence officers and national security officials and people within the agency are really supportive of this appointment. I think that chorus would be ringing a bit louder. So it's my turn. Where I want to turn. I do think that you know because Gina Haspel is a woman. I do think that because Gina Haspel is a woman, she is held to a higher bar. For these sort of, you know, ethical, ethical issues of well, you know, yes, this action wasn't illegal, but it was still wrong. 
Like that's so wait, wait, where wait, I wait. think they're. I want to respond to Sharmila's point. I want to say that I think that her gender in this particular instance is working in her favor. How about that? I think that a man similarly situated might have run into an even tougher time. I don't know if I'm right, but I just think there's a counter argument to what you're saying. Here's here's a few names, okay? Just what do they have in common? Former CIA directors John Brennan, Leon Panetta, Jose Rodriguez, George Tenet, Michael Hayden, along with the the DNI for Obama, James Clapper, and former Senator and Secretary of State John Kerry. What do they have in common? They've all endorsed her. This is a very different case. This, I, I want to align myself with what, what Ken had to say, that, that she is an extraordinarily competent and qualified person, which is why she's got that kind of broad support. I don't think that her gender in this I – I totally acknowledge, Charlotte, your point about how gender often works against women. I don't see it in this case. And so I, I'm – pushing back on that um and i think she will have a tough time but i think she will get confirmed because she's got broad bipartisan um credible supporters and uh and it'll be an interesting opportunity to see how she defends herself obviously she's got to be able to pull this off um and explain explain herself what were you doing what did you know what were you thinking um and uh, what have you learned since then? Right, but um, Alan, I think that, that is my point, right? My point is that a man with Gina Haspel's exact qualifications, right? You know, like I said, she's been yep. widely endorsed by bipartisan members of the National Security and Intelligence Establishment. She's widely supported within the agency, right? On all fronts, this seems like a good pick. But I do think, and I think that that narrative would be, la- like that counter narrative to the Right now, the big sticking point with her is, okay, enhanced interrogation techniques, you participated in torture, right? And the, the counter-narrative is, you know, but she's widely, a widely admired agent who's proven herself incredibly qualified and, cap, and competent and, you know, is widely admired and endorsed by a broad variety of people. So you have those two narratives, and I think that the – I think that that second, that counter-narrative in support of her would be slightly louder and would carry more weight if she was a man. I think it would be less. Obviously, that's all obviously I'm saying. we don't know. Yeah. So uh, I, I, offer, I, 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 I offer this. Um, so I, I do think much like um, the fact that race is still um, an issue in our country, as I believe sexism is too, but it washes both ways. Some number of weeks ago, the Secretary of Homeland Security uh, went up to Capitol Hill and uh, for testimony, and Senator Cory Booker um, went after her with reckless abandon because she was she was she she gave the impression that she was not uh, giving him the, the the respect that he was due as a as a member of of, of the Senate, and was uh, not completely forthcoming in her answers. And on the Fox News version of the event, um, there was a how dare he go after a woman like that whereas I'm looking at her as not being a woman not being a man but being the Secretary of Homeland Security not answering a, a, a straight question from a member of Congress 
So it washes both ways. Um, I happen to, to, to think that Miss um, uh, Haskell will probably get confirmed. Uh, I, I, I like the fact that she's got as much support as she does. I like the fact that she has, has the reputation of being apolitical. And I especially, again, like the fact that she understands the risks associated with speaking truth to power, but has continued to do it throughout her career. And we need that. We need that a lot right now. All right. Moving on. I think that, yeah, (laughs) moving on, I guess. I mean, Ken, I agree with you. I think she's a, one of the Trump appointments better, the Trump administration's better appointees or better nominees. So, you know, I, I'm in support of her confirmation. We need, like you said, smart, competent, apolitical people who are going to speak truth to power and who aren't just going to bend to the whims of, you know, the executive. Uh, that being said, that that being said, I, I would somewhat disagree with your um, your kind of counterargument to sexism washes both ways because that's not a that's not a narrative. I, I think that I would agree with you that I think sexism probably played a part in how Cory Booker went after um, went after Kristen Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security. But I and and I agree that you know. The, the correct counter argument is how dare he go after a woman this way? I, I, I think that is paternalistic and, and patronizing, but you see that from one, you know, you see that from one Fox news, you see that from one news channel. You don't see that from the other. By the way, I want to correct myself. I said that John Kerry had endorsed. I don't, I'm not sure if he has or not. I heard that somewhere, but in a letter that 50 people signed, it was former Senator Bob Kerry who who endorsed her, uh, former Democrat, former vice chair of the also Senate uh, Intelligence Committee, but right, also a Democrat, and and so I'm not sure about John Kerry. So I may have misheard. We forgive you. But there Alex. are other secretaries of other former secretaries who have. Um, anyway, it's a it's an impressive group of people that came together, a bipartisan group, to in, in, endorse her candidacy. Have we lost our fearless leader? I think we may have lost Justin. So where do we want to go from here? Um, the president, when he let's talk about North Korea for a minute, because uh, the president made a comment today that not only, as we've discussed, that that uh, Secretary of State uh, Pompeo is on his way uh, and getting close, but he also said we know where we're going to meet. Now, I don't know where that is, but it sounds like that was resolved and that the meeting is going forward. My view of his statement today uh, about Iran had some phrases in there that were messages to the North Koreans, uh, because as we've all, we've commented on uh, among ourselves, um, how are the North Koreans going to feel if the U.S. was in a deal uh, and then reneged on it. Uh, how are they going to feel about a deal that they might strike with uh, with the Trump administration? Um, and he was trying to make comments about when I make deals, I keep deals. Um, well, that's great. 
Um, <laughs> most presidents do. But what we like to think of is that. But we know that that's country, not true. We, we that, know that's not well. We know that's not true from Donald Trump's business uh, life. Well, not for, certainly not in his business uh, his business dealings. But but what we're what we're hoping is is that that uh, when we're when the United States of America is cutting a deal with another country, that the United States of America will uh, will will stick with it or uh, reopen it in uh, in a mature, um, cooperative way that involves all parties and doesn't simply walk away or make unilateral demands. Um, I mean, we'll 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 see what what's happening here. But I was struck by the fact that that he seemed to be trying to say something to the North Koreans, partly in response to this concern that we have expressed and others have expressed that how will they trust us if we, if we just uh, give the finger to Iran a couple of years into to this deal. Um, can, anybody can you guys hear me? I have to say. Add, um, so, oh, can you guys hear Justin, me now? Back. I'm back. We're we back. can hear you I now. I he's, been, back. Uh, he's back. Technical difficulties. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Keep going. We pivoted Keep going. To North Korea. Well, I would like to, so I think that Alan makes a great point. Um, I have to say, you know, two things. Uh, firstly, it, it kind of killed me to say this, but I thought that uh, President Trump's speech today was the best of his career. I thought it was, you know, sort of his most Im- impressive performance as president. He really? He was steady. He was serious. He stayed on message. He didn't go off script. Um, and I think he – it was really whoever wrote the speech. It was very well crafted so, in that it wait, 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 you know, Charmaine, even, even if his facts that... were somewhat spurious. Let her finish. Let her finish. No, no, no. Hold even, on, even, hold on, Charlotte. Though... I, I just want no, Charlotte. Yeah. I want to interrupt real quick. I want to interrupt you real quickly. You mean to tell me <laughs> that you think that the, the, this was the best speech that Trump gave today, only because of the fact that he didn't improvise? No, I'm going into my reasons for why I said that right now. But you let her let her finish. So, right, he whoever wrote the speech, he he gave reasons that you know even if the facts behind them were somewhat spurious, he gave concrete reasons for why they believed that Iran was not in compliance and why they felt coming out of the deal was justified. And then to Alan's point. They've heard this argument that, you know, if we pull out of this deal with, North, or with Iran, how are we going to have credibility with North Korea? And he addressed that in the speech. I thought that was an incredibly smart move um, to say, look, you know, this is, you know, now I'm, we pull out of this deal because we think the Iranians were acting in bad faith. But look, I said from the beginning that I wanted to pull out of this deal. I have also, if you've been paying attention, you know, he implied this. From the beginning, he's been saying that he'd be happy to sit down, sit down with Kim Jong-un and figure out a peace deal. And, and then he said, look, I keep my promises. And look, we are on the way to a historic meeting with Kim Jong-un. So I think that actually, you know, if you were listening as sort of a layperson in the audience, or if you were listening, you know, from the North Korean perspective, that I think actually gave him slightly more credibility in terms of, you know, being able to put together a, a good faith deal with the North Koreans. I think the second thing is that, right, the advantage that, Donald Trump and Kim, Kim Jong-un have is that Donald Trump will most likely be succeeded by a president who doesn't totally disdain, you know, typical U.S. norms the way Donald Trump does, right? Any other president, Republican or Democrat, would not have torn up this Iran deal, would not have withdrawn from the Paris Climate Accords, would not have withdrawn from the TPP. But Donald Trump does things he doesn't care about, those sort of conventional norms, and so he does things that he wants to do. The next president we have, whoever it may be, 
will most likely be a return to typical U.S. international norms, the typical, you know, the typical norms that the U.S. has always used when conducting international relations and will likely stick to whatever deals that Donald Trump has made, even if they're bad ones. And so I think those two factors actually help him gain more credibility with the North Koreans. That being said, I think his deal-making ability is still terrible, and so whatever deal we, we make with the North Koreans might be awful. He's got, he's got nothing to deal with, Sharmila. He's got what – what, what, what possibility does Trump have of coming out of North Korea with a deal? What do we, what do we have on the table? Unclear. Sanctions. Sanctions? South Sanctions. Korea, China. You've also uh, got Japan. Remember, you've got the U.S. and China aligned here. I, 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 look, we're, we are coming. We are coming from the submissive point here. We have literally let Kim Jong Un call the ball on this, which to me legitimizes him as a world power. He's literally the one driving the train. And Trump is coming in thinking, I'm going to use my art of the deal expertise and go into one of the into a hermitage, a global hermitage, and try and convince a, a Kim Jong-un that, you know what, I've got the deal for you. If I'm Kim Jong-un, I'm going to look at him and go, no, 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 no. I got the deal for you. Here's how this is going to go down. I don't see where we come in as a, as as having any sort of sway or strength here. If anybody, it's it's China and 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 Moscow that have the bigger play here than we do. Well, we, I, we just disagree here. We just totally disagree. We 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 there's a there's a sanctions regime on North Korea that has made that economy a basket case. We've brought China to the table here. Um, because they don't want nuclear weapons on the peninsula. They have obviously uh, put some pressure uh, uh, on North Korea. Uh, South Korea has reached out uh, in a remarkable way from the Olympics forward, uh, and they have enormous uh, interests, joint interests, um, to to work together uh, in Japan. <laughs> And Japan is right there. There's a lot of economic opportunity for a leader who you will remember was educated in Switzerland. And he knows what the West looks like, and he knows what North Korea looks like. Several years ago, he signaled that he wanted a nuclear weapon and he wanted uh, sort of a detente with, uh, with the rest of the world. He's got his weapon. He's got some ballistic delivery capability. And now he wants to look in, wants to figure out how to improve his economy. We are the key to that. And so are these partners who will be there. We have, I, we, I, we've got I, I'm, all I'm, kinds I'm leaning of, more, I'm, I got to admit, Alan, I'm, I'm leaning more toward Justin on this one. Um, okay, the, 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 Koreans, the, the Koreans, the Koreans have heretofore shown no ability to stick to a deal, and maybe because they got a got new that, leader. Hang, hang it's on, a new hang, leader. Hang, hang, hang on, it's his son, and and <laughs> it's his son, and and so maybe the fact that they're dealing with the president who also doesn't stick to his deals might create <laughs> you know a new opportunity. I don't know. 
I'm not I'm not overly confident because I you know because having been I guess dealing with this from a tactical and operational perspective for so much, so much time, um, I I know that the only thing that the Kims ever wanted was to be regarded as a real nation on the world stage. Well, without really showing them showing us any reason that they're willing to behave as a responsible na- uh, member of the of the community of nations, we have in effect given them that. So to to Justin's what? point, to, to Justin's point. And- what, what 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 else do, what 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 do we have to bargain with? Not a damn thing. We don't know what they, they want. Can, to play devil's advocate Mayo, to my prior I'm, argument, we're totally I want to point here, out obviously. something that. So I want to play devil's advocate to my prior argument for a second, and to to um, you know latch on to something that Alan mentioned in his in his answer, which was I wonder how much if we've overemphasized or how much if we're giving too much importance to the fact that. Kim Jong-un is young and was educated in the West because we've seen that as he's come back to be his country's leader, he has doubled down or at least continued the same repressive tactics that his ancestors were using and that he has displayed the exact same authoritarian tendencies. And he's not really made that many moves to, to modernize any parts of North Korean society. I think that we might, we, we might be making a mistake in trying to equate um, in trying to equate Kim Jong-un with someone like, you know, Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia, who is legitimately trying to bring some more liberal democratic, you know, at a slower pace, but he is trying to bring some liberal, liberal democratic reforms to the kingdom. Whereas you don't really see that with Kim Jong-un. And, you know, for him, opening up his society to the West, opening up Western, uh, in, opening up to Western investment, to Western technologies, uh, to Western money and resources, could actually be dangerous, right? Because it could serve to sort of deprogram the North Korean people from a lot of the propaganda that the Kim and, and family right has been feeding them for the last hundred years. And, and by so the way, Sharma, I think for that, the you know, I can see Justin's point as well, where Kim might be coming to the table in order to, again, get that uh, prestige of being a nation and show, look, we are a nation on par with the United States, but might not be actually willing to give anything in return. I mean, look, let, let's call this what it is. The, the reality is you're talking about a guy that – I mean the guy killed his uncle by strapping him to the front end of a cannon because he didn't clap loud enough at one of his speeches. This is a man that has literally created an entire country of zombies that believe that he well, is – He created the, it. He's just – I'm, I'm sorry, he's, he's perpetuated. He's perpetuated, he's perpetuated it. a country of zombies that believe that he is, they believe that he is the supreme leader. This is a guy that literally has done nothing to show, other than the fact that, you know, he's created a nuclear program that has demonstrated at least the possibility of putting a nuclear device in some U.S. strategic area, whether it's against Japan, whether it's Guam, or God forbid, even Alaska or the West Coast of the U.S., and he's done this after sanctions. He's done this after U.N. Uh, 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 after UN action. He has done this, and the entire global community has isolated him, and he still does not budge. This is Kim Jong-un playing 
Donald Trump's inexperience, playing Donald Trump's nativité like a master musician. Well, Again, so it sounds like you don't think it sounds like you don't think the meeting is a good idea. I think it is a good idea. I think if it fails, it fails. I don't see that that the U.S. or the president is suffers some massive loss of face because it goes has a meeting and it comes up with nothing. But I think but there's a chance. I agree that that it comes up with something, and that that it's 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 a risk worth taking. Um, I'd much rather that we're going over there and having a meeting than having the, our president and Kim Jong-un sending little messages, name-calling, threatening um, uh, to blow each other up. Uh, I choose to be hopeful here. I'm not naive so about Alan, it, and I'm not saying that, 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 that we're on the road to denuclear, denuclearizing the entire peninsula, but – but I think that South Korea, Japan, China in particular, and, and, and not to mention the Russians, they're watching with great interest. And China, Japan, and South Korea are all going to be very present, South Korea physically at the table, and the Japan and Chinese interests uh, 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 right outside the door. So I'm, I'm hopeful here. I think this is a good thing to do. And look, look, if it look, nothing turns out me- that it's a big nothing – I don't, I don't see that, that, that the U.S. or the president have, uh, have lost uh, in some uh, terrible, horrible, embarrassing way uh, for, for, for trying. I'd much rather this happening than, than Not, where we were nothing, six months ago. N- nothing would give me greater pleasure than to see peace on the Korean Peninsula. I would love to see that. I would love to believe – that that is not some sort of weird pink unicorn that exists only in our dreams. The reality still dictates this. And not only are we coming with a submissive position in this, with Kim Jong-un calling the shots, the hypocrisy of this is How are we submissive? How is he calling the shots? He said, let's have a meeting. We said, okay. That's he, not him calling the shots. Wait a minute. In, in almost 50 years, okay, we have had a problem stemming from everything from human rights to violating international law regarding, you know, UN sanctions, international, uh, uh, international crimes of multiple, multiple issues, and we we are the ones, and this administration is the one that says. We're going to come to the table and negotiate with you because he just said it to the South Koreans, and South Koreans said, "Yeah, you know what? We want to do this." No, Tell no, me. no. It's because it's because he's got the bomb and he's got some missiles that can that that could conceivably move that bomb, or he's got ships that could deliver that bomb somewhere. That's why yeah, so we're guess talking what? to him. That gives and sorry, the position guys, also, of calling the shots. President is a megalomaniac who wants to cement his own legacy, right? Part of this is because so President put- Trump views this as his opportunity for the Nobel Prize and to really, you know, have his great man in history moment. And, Justin, before – I know what you're going to say, but my counterargument is since when has Donald Trump put the interests of the United States of America or its values ahead of his own wants? And here's, and here, and here's where the bigger point. impact of this is. Not only are we legitimizing Pyongyang and Kim Jong-un. And giving him equal status, 
but we're also we're also sending a completely odd message where a known actor who will violate an agreement just as soon as brushes teeth in Kim Jong Un we're going to go and and make nice to him and have a big kumbaya moment at the same time we are sitting here pulling out of an agreement with an Iranian government, not our favorite players, not by any stretch of the imagination, but are, but they have, by all accounts, been playing by the rules this entire time, and we're pulling out of that <laughs> agreement. I, I got to say, I mean, I'm really intrigued. Yes, of course it's Iran, Iran is a is a Iran is an active financier of state terrorism. Throughout the region, it invests billions of dollars um, against U.S. interests, Western interests, Israeli interests. And you are trying to equate North Korean international actions with the true risks that Iran poses. I, I got to say, I'm surprised because most people, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, are cautiously supportive you know carefully they couch it but they think this is a good thing and it's sort of justin against the world that what a waste we're elevating him and i i'm not seeing it that way because he'll have his moment fine but if he if they don't cut a deal we walk away we say we tried and those slime balls uh showed their true colors still again or i happen to think that there might there, there's some chance here, some momentum. Just the, you know, the, if you look at the meetings with the South Korean president and crossing over the over the, back uh, uh, and forth across the border and talk about uh, finally ending the war, those are things that are, are have never happened before. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's nothing. But I think there's a potential here that's worth. Uh, Going to a, going and spending a couple of days doing some briefings, setting it up ahead of time, talking to the allies. My God, for the first time, we're we're, we're actually working with some allies trying to solve a major international problem. Hooray! That's not. Weren't we we're doing that? To. Weren't we doing and that with the Iran nuclear deal? Weren't we doing that with the Iran nuclear deal? Well, yes, but what, that was Barack the, Obama's the, idea, and this is Trump's idea. Yeah, well, so this one is better. The president. The, the president believes that it was a dangerous deal. We don't have, none of us happen to agree with, with, with him, but in his own weird way of thinking, he's trying to protect uh, U.S. interests here, advance them. We don't happen to agree anyway. with that. I think that's yeah. what he's trying to do in, in, in right. Korea. Well, well, most people agree with him. All right, well, Alan, we're going to let that be the last. You have pure motives to the president than I do. Uh, I, I can't even think about well, it. My oh, no, head hurts. The, the, the possibility of a Nobel Prize, sure. That, that, that'll motivate him, too. He'd love to be my a, God. a hero. Every president wants, uh, wants to do great things. My head hurts and just thinking about a Nobel laureate, Donald Trump. Like put lipstick on a pig. Seriously. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> hey, uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to take the last 10 minutes here, and we're going to talk about uh, our oh, weekly nice. death pool. Uh, those who have departed said administration joining us right now on the line is our associate producer up in washington audrey howerton audrey good afternoon good afternoon guys and audrey uh we would like to have you go over last week's results so why don't you tell us who everybody picked and tell us at the end of that who won the pool 
Okay, so Sharmila, you had Rod Rowenstein. Ken, you had John Kelly. Dan had Sarah Huckabee. Alan had Scott Pruitt. And Justin had Jeff Sessions. Now, the only person to leave the administration this past week was Ty Cobb, who, Justin, you picked way back on March 27th. Oh! Okay. Uh, You were a bit early with your prediction. I know. He hasn't left yet. He doesn't... He's, he doesn't leave till the end of May, but it is announced. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I could have had the win. All right. So that being said, uh, we're going to continue on. Uh, I'm going to give this week's first pick to Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, who's your pool pick? Rudy Giuliani. Oh no! <laughs> Darn it. Okay, Alan Moore. I'll I'll continue to to ride to ride on uh, on Scott Pruitt. Okay, Sharmila. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I'll stick to Rosenstein. You are okay. Uh, gosh, you guys didn't leave me a lot here. You, oh, you know what? I I know who I'm going to go with. I know Emmett Flood. I believe that I Emmett Flood is going to be leaving the administration. That's my pick. White House. That's White House. A, and I, I think, I think that if you, if he decides not to come on, you should win. Even though one could argue that he, he didn't ever join, so he can't quit. But I would say we should waive that rule and and give you the victory if that happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alan. That's very, that is very magnanimous of you. Hey, uh, by the way, just a little bit of a note here. Audrey Howerton has been. In Washington D.C., working uh, working as our associate producer uh, for the past few months, I got to give her a lot of credit. Audrey is the architect who designed our new website. Uh, she is the one who's been putting up the daily uh, from the cutting room floor briefing. Uh, she has been posting on our Twitter account, on our Facebook account. She's been pretty much running the back the back room of backroom politics. And she is returning to Massachusetts and upstate New York uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, Audrey, you're going to be still doing your associate producer's duties every week, correct? I am. But you're just going to be doing it remote until we get you back down to Washington, D.C., correct? Absolutely. Okay. So this is where we do – this is kind of where we do because we're ending the internship and we have to go over your grade. So, uh, Audrey, you're sitting here and you're talking to the professors of the School of Backroom Politics. Audrey, uh, we're going to start with uh, Sharmila. Sharmila, what, do you, what kind of grade do you think we should give Audrey for her term here at the radio show? I think we give her an A+. Plus. She's been wonderful. Her weekly uh, briefings for us before the show are so helpful in helping me get prepared. So I think she's done an A-plus job. Okay, Admiral Ken. I have to concur because under under uh, Audrey's um, administration, uh, I, I I got all of the information that uh, Charlotte just alluded to, and most importantly, invitations to uh, to the call-ins uh, in a timely manner. Because for whatever <laughs> reason, her 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 senior instructor doesn't seem to be able to get that done. Yeah, <laughs> right. Laugh it up, Chuckles. Alan Moore. 
I agree completely with the comments of my colleagues. I'm a little old school so that the maximum top grade you can get is an A, a straight A, a pure A, and that's what I'm giving. Well, okay, <laughs> since we had to turn it in a week ago, we're going to tell you. Uh, so, Audrey, uh, we here at Backroom Politics, for your, for your official grade, gave you a pure A. Uh, you've been absolutely fantastic, and, and we are thankful that you're going to be sticking with us uh, in the future. You're helping make us the new bigger and better thing. We've gotten a huge amount of increase in listenership, activity, interaction while you've been here. So thank you for sticking with us. Uh, and she is going to remain as our associate producer. She's going to be going up on the website this week. You're going to post that, right? I am. <laughs> Okay, and then also, uh, Audrey, I am a little shocked, a little surprised that you did not put up the Chewbacca defense clip from YouTube up on our Twitter or Facebook account. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, we try to keep things professional here at the back room, Justin, as best we can. <gasps> Since when? <laughs> Since when? Since I started. <laughs> oh, okay, there we go. Well, that, that's fair. Anyways, just want to thank you uh, for being a part of the team, and we're looking forward to keeping you as part of the team. So that's, that's fantastic. With that, on behalf of Admiral Ken Carradine, Alan Moore, the always, always energetic Sharmila Achari from New York, and on behalf of our associate producer in Washington, Audrey Howerton, I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next Tuesday live for the best political talk show you've never heard of. This has been Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio. By the way, you can follow us on our newly designed website, website thanks to Audrey, www.backroompolitics.org. You can also follow us on our Twitter account, thanks to Audrey, at Backroom Politics. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, thanks to Audrey, at facebook.com slash backroompoliticsradio. And you can also email your concerns, fan mail, etc. Also thanks to Audrey at info at backroompolitics.org. Have a great week, America. Oh, and by the way, um, Kanye and Blankenship, we pass. Have a great week, America. We'll see you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Backroom Politics. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.